Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Well, good morning. I'm going to ask you again in a second because I think you can do better than that. But first, I'm going to welcome uh, those who are here for the very first time and say uh, everybody around you who may be a part of this church family already is a little excited because we're back in the sanctuary this morning. We've been worshiping down the hall uh, for the last five weeks because of a lot of renovations in this room. And I just want to make sure you're all aware that the light gray paint to your left and right uh, is actually a selection of paint titled Amazing Gray. So you're surrounded by amazing gray this morning as you worship, and uh, if you're happy about that, say good morning back to me. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 2, and if you don't have your Bible or forgot your Bible, uh, there's a red one right underneath you or in the seat in front of you, and if the Bible's new to you, we want to make sure you can find Luke chapter 2 very easily, so that's page 1591 in the Red Bibles. We're taking the whole month of September to visit values of this church, values that we hope that we embody, values that shape our lifestyle. These values are reflected on serve and connect cards that are located right underneath you in your chair when you came in. Go ahead and grab yours and wave it to me so I know you're uh, somewhat paying attention. Uh, Look, it's our desire for you to dive deeper into the life and fellowship and community of this church. Now, we love coming together on Sundays and worshiping together, but there's more. Uh, And our hope is that you would experience those growth opportunities, those opportunities to connect with other people in this church family. Uh, And of course, there's so many ministries uh, that happen here that can't happen without uh, amazing faithful volunteers. So, If you feel compelled this morning, the Holy Spirit is nudging you, sign up, Uh, check a box. You can check out of this sermon anytime for 90 seconds to fill out this card and then check back into the sermon, uh, and you can drop it in uh, baskets as you leave today with our ushers. Last week, uh, Bill reminded us of the importance of serving, so we're looking at values that we want to embody as a part of this church, and I love how he called us to serve with pure motivations. It's all about the motivation behind what we do to serve one another. As Redeemer people, we want to be known as people that look for opportunities to sacrifice. We don't just sacrifice when opportunities knock on our door, but we want to look for opportunities to serve other people. You all know our youth pastor, Wopsle, and he and I today are going to hopefully remind you of another one of our values, and that is that we grow. We grow. As Redeemer people, we are deeply committed to our spiritual growth, both individually and corporately. So let me offer a little more clarity on that and emphasis to just expand in more detail on this statement uh, that we stand by. We are a growing people. As Redeemer people, that means as redeemed sinners who consistently engage with the life and ministry of this church, by graciously and generously giving your time and energy and sweat and tears and influence and resources. And we are deeply committed, that means intensely and unwaveringly devoted, extremely dedicated, totally steadfast, sincerely faithful, and exceptionally loyal. 
to our spiritual growth. The process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, putting to death the acts of the flesh, confessing and repenting of our sin, and conforming to His image through the increasingly evident fruit of the Spirit in our lives and our fierce fidelity to Scripture. Individually, in solitude and in secret, we regularly talk to God, and we read and study and memorize and apply and meditate on Scripture, and we fast from physical needs in order to prioritize our spiritual needs. And corporately, in one another's company, we share in the blessings of God. We look for opportunities to love and serve and sacrifice for our neighbors and evangelize to those who are outside of our faith community making disciples, giving God glory and praise through our speech and our behavior and our worship, seeking forgiveness, seeking reconciliation, and partnering with the church's mission to our community and our world. Anybody love that kind of church? <laughs> I'm here to tell you that's not Redeemer. It's not. And you didn't expect to hear that because we love coming to church and getting a little pat on the back, don't we, Wopsle? <laughs> it's not Redeemer because... And it's not an insult, it's an invitation. That's who Redeemer is uh, continually becoming. See, we have not arrived. And if we ever think we've arrived, we just stop being the church. And so this is who we are continuously becoming as a church, increasingly more and more each and every day. So the invitation here is to keep growing. Luke chapter 2, we're given a beautiful narrative of the birth and childhood of Jesus. Mary is pregnant, Jesus is born, he was circumcised, they have a baby dedication, they flee to Egypt, and then the Bible fast forwards to 12-year-old Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. His mom and dad get a little aggravated with him, they're frustrated because they didn't know where he was half the time. 12-year-olds can be frustrating. I just want to go on record and say that, right? Okay, so they're frustrated with him, uh, and then there's this one verse after he reconciles with his parents. It sums up his life from the hormonal preteen in the, in the temple to the young man on a mission to reach and redeem all of humanity who would one day die a brutal, inconceivable death. And here's the verse. What did he do from 12 to 30? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew. I mean, that's what we know about our Savior. He was on a growth plan. Wisdom. Yes, He's fully divine. How can a fully divine God in the flesh grow in wisdom? I mean, He grew human intelligence, right? He, he learned new insights and new skills. As a toddler, yes, He's the Messiah, but He had to learn the hard way that fire's hot right? As, as a young boy, he had to learn the hard way. You don't pet a stray dog. As a grown man, he learned how to use tools and use his hands and build things. And in stature, he grew. He got older. He got stronger. He got taller. His physical body matured. He grew in favor with God. He experienced the uh, loving kindness and intimate presence of the Father, and he grew in favor with man. He had a good reputation among his peers in the village, and he was a good friend to many. His relationships flourished. So Jesus grew. The Greek word right here for grow is taken literally to mean that he kept increasing and advancing. 
He kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He kept advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And that is the challenge that we have for you today as Christ followers. Follow his example and keep increasing and keep advancing. And this is the same challenge that we have and present to our young people. About a year ago, we sent our children and student ministry teams on a planning retreat And as I sat and I listened to them share their heart for young people and share their passions and their dreams for the the young people of this church, it suddenly hit me that I've got a lot of skin in this game. He is youth pastor to my oldest, and Mrs. Chalker has my younger three. So as a pastor, I care deeply about cultivating an atmosphere of discipleship, a growth plan, intentionality with our young people that we never waste a minute when we're in their presence. I care about our younger generation. But as a daddy, as a daddy of four that participate in the ministries of this church, I can see growth in my children. And yes, Andrea and I are intentional with our kids, but it's also because of the partnership with our student and our children ministries. I mean, my kids are growing. Now, I'm not tooting their horn. They can be little jerks, all right? I can give you all sorts of evidence about uh, them being little jerks. But they walk around the house singing praise songs. They walk around the house singing, you're good, you're good, God, you're good. They're reading their Bibles and they're memorizing Scripture. They pray for their friends. They pray for this church. They pray for the sick. When they learn of somebody in our church that's sick, they want to pray by name for those people. Just three nights ago, Uh, I went upstairs, and Ellie, it was past her bedtime, and, you know, just like normal daddy, like, go to bed, it's past your bedtime, (laughs) and uh, and then, you know, the little blue eyes look up, and I'm like, oh, something's coming, and she says, I just can't go to sleep, I have to do something, and I'm afraid to do it by myself, because I might tear the pages of my Bible, I said, what is it, baby, and she said, Mrs. Chalker gave me Bible tabs, let me tell you something, you know how happy I was? to stay up for another 40 minutes installing (laughs) Bible tabs on my little girl's Bible. They're not easy. They're little, and you can mess them up. Even an adult, it's like a 40, 45-minute project. But I don't care about your bedtime anymore. You want Bible tabs in your Bible, we're putting Bible tabs in your Bible. (laughs) I don't care if it takes until breakfast. That, That is what our children and our student ministries are committed to here with passion and intentionality to help grow our young people into Men and women one day that are in love with Jesus. Wapsle, let me kick it to you. He's going to share a little bit more about our desire to help our younger generations grow. <clears throat> Thanks, Adam. Um, if, if you come into my office, which you're more than welcome to because we've got the Keurig down there and we love visitors. Um, but you'll see I've got a lot of bookshelves and I've got a lot of dumb stuff all over my bookshelves. Dumb little like toys and trinkets and things. And Which is offensive because there's something on your shelf that I gave you. <laughs> no, that's, no joke. There's a little hippo on there that's not dumb, a little wooden hippo. But everything else is kind of dumb. It's but that's, special. It's special. It has a story. <laughs> yep. So one of the things you'll see on the very top of one of my shelves is a bunch of gumballs all in these jars across the way. You may see them and think, man, Wopsle really loves gum. And if I can be honest, I kind of hate gum. You know, it loses its flavor after 30 seconds, and then you're stuck with this trash in your mouth for the rest of the day. And so I kind of hate gum, but I love a good illustration. 
and a good reminder of why what we're doing is important. So these are to represent the amount of weeks that we have in a year. There's 50 gumballs in this one jar. So this is a year of weeks that we have. Now I realize 52 is how many weeks are in a year, but 50 is a more round number. So many people were like, he doesn't know <laughs> how many weeks are good save. I am from Prague, but even there we learned how many <laughs> weeks are in, are in the year. Uh, but 50 is a more round number, and uh, I like round numbers, so here we go. Um, so this is how many weeks we have in one year, period. But specifically in our context, this is how many weeks we have in a year to influence our young people, to teach them what's important, to remind them of who they are. I um, mean, one year, this is how many we have. Now, the reason that that's important is because, of course, then they begin to stack up. If, you're, if you have a kid that just started pre-K, around four years old or so, this is how many weeks you have left before they graduate high school. It's a lot of weeks, right? Some of you are stressed out. You're like, oh man, I'm never going to make it to the end of all these gumballs. Well, I got good news for you, maybe. I would argue it's probably not going to be good news. Um, if your student just started sixth grade, then half of these are gone. And now this is how many weeks you have left, we have left, with your young person before they graduate high school and go off to do whatever it is that they do. This is you, Adam. That's me. So you may be looking at this still and saying, well, well, so that still seems like a lot of gumballs, which maybe it does. So to kind of hammer this point home, this, this is how many gumballs, this is how many weeks are left if your student just started their senior year in high school. So you see, you go from 6th grade to 12th grade pretty quickly. I'm here to tell you that this jar empties faster than all the rest of them put together. Mm. Even though sometimes it seems like we have a lot of time, church, I'm here to tell you, we don't have very much time. And if you don't believe me, go find somebody whose kid just started their senior year in high school. Or find someone whose kid just started their freshman year of college and say, hey, how fast did it go? And they'll say, you have no idea. Our time, friends, is very short. If, if you only have roughly 50 weeks with your child, then every single week counts, and every day counts, and every opportunity that we have with them matters. So that's why as the children's team and the youth team, we measure every single moment we have with your kids to make for sure that we're communicating what's most important to them at that time. We have a growth plan that was in the bulletin you were handed. If you want to look at that now, we're not going to go over it in detail, but that's for you to kind of hang out and check out with us. I want to tell you how we came up with that. We began to think about this plan of what's the most important. We researched young people's development. What do they begin to wrestle with at different times of their life? What, do they, what questions do they begin to ask? What intellectually can they handle at certain points of their life? We took that. We, we asked parents and families who kind of are on the end of this that seem to do a pretty decent job, you know? What went great? And what do you wish would have gone differently? We searched the scriptures to see what the Bible says about young people and two young people. And we prayed together hard. God, what would you have young people in every specific moment in their spiritual growth, what would you have them to learn? And what we came up with is the growth plan that we follow here. We call it sometimes conception to college, or more casually, we call it the crib to curb right? Um, but this is what we're teaching. <laughs> that was Adam's, actually. I better give him credit for that. Um, but I just want to highlight a few things so that you can see the intentionality that went into each of these things. So this is kids' ministry. This is from birth until the end of fifth grade. 
You'll notice in second grade, there's a big flag there. This is whenever we do the Bible presentations. Big, the, the, the big flags are kind of like the kind of bigger epic moments that we try to put into what's going on. Um, second grade is whenever a kid can really start to begin to read and comprehend on their own, right? And so we not only want to equip them with the Bible so that they can read it, but we bring them up here on the stage and we put them in front of the church and we make it this very proud moment so that not only are they equipped and they have a Bible, but they're excited to go home and almost like play with their new toy, right? And so that's why that's in second grade very strategically because we believe developmentally that's a great time to get God's word into your hands. Or if you'll flip over, the high school is on the back, the middle school and high school. You'll notice that um, between 11th and 12th grade, we kind of have these three topics that almost everything we focus on goes under one of these topics. And they're simply leadership, doubt, and abiding, or to abide. So leadership, again, we, very, we, we expect our upperclassmen to speak into our younger kids in our ministry a whole lot. They begin to serve. They show up at VBS. They are very actively and very much expected to serve in our ministries. And the second one is doubt. We're not going to force your kids to doubt, but we are passionate about giving them a safe place to doubt while they're still here underneath our roof, right? When they're still underneath your wing. Like in college, they're definitely going to get a chance to doubt. Why not give them that opportunity here where we can help them wrestle with it and help them come out on the side that their faith isn't shaken to its core? And then the lastly is abiding. Guys, as a youth pastor for many years, I'm so tired of seeing high schoolers graduate high school and graduate their faiths. We're not going to allow that to be here. We're going to teach our 11th and 12th graders the importance of abiding, of staying connected to the vine, which is what Adam's going to talk about a little bit more here in a bit. But you can see how strategically we really looked at what students are dealing with at each area and each time and how developmentally they are and what they're prepared for, and we're ministering to that person. We have a growth plan for your children. And because Jesus had a growth plan too, again, Luke 2.52 that Adam read a second ago, it doesn't say at the age of 12, Jesus went into a holding pattern until he was an adult, until he was ready for ministry. No, no, it says that he grew. He continued on this growth plan that went all throughout his teenage years and his early 20s. And so we're going to do the same thing with your children. We, this is very personal to me, we are not willing to wait around until some future time to start discipling your young people. Because if we wait until they're immersed in a culture of sex and compromise and seeking approval from their peers, we've already waited too long. We've got to get in before that. Here's a bit of a challenge. The best time to start taking discipleship seriously with your young people was yesterday. But the second best time is today. I have a five-year-old girl, just started kindergarten. She names Jovi. She's sweet and, and awesome. And then, we have, and then we have Coda. Some of you have that first kid, and then you have the second kid. That's kind of where we are. <laughs> Coda is one and a half, and he's just a Tasmanian devil, and he's crazy, and he hurts me as much as he hurts himself, and he's out of control. But God love him. He's going to be a world changer. I know that. So every night, whenever we started this at a very early age. When we lay him down in bed, we put him down, and I touch his head, and I say, Coda, you're smart. I grab his little arm and I say, Coda, you're strong. And I pat him right here on the heart and I say, Coda, you're kind. And then I go collapse on the couch for keeping him up, keeping him alive. Um, <laughs> recently, Coda, when we lay him down to bed, he started tapping his head before we even get to. 
He looks at us and does that, and then I say, you're smart, and then he grabs his alarm. And it's really sweet that he's beginning to understand us. And let me be clear, none of that's true about my son, right? He's <laughs> certainly not smart. In fact, I'm not sure if he's even smart for his age. Um, he's, he's not strong at all. I promise I can still take him in a fight for now. And, and he's not kind at all. Ask his five-year-old sister. He's the least kind guy I've ever met. He's so selfish and such a jerk sometimes. But we're saying these things over his life in hopes that they will become true because this is what we see him becoming. We're starting discipleship in an early age knowing that something about what we're planning will, will come true. It's, it's, it's never too early to start taking discipleship seriously with your kids. But the good news is it's also never too late. Yeah, we, we were talking this week. Spiritual growth is visible. I mean, it's evident. You can look at someone and see their conduct and hear their speech, and you can know that they're serious or not about their spiritual development. Um, but we would argue that spiritual growth is not measurable. I mean, that's, that's the really difficult thing is how, how uh, deep has this person grown spiritually in the last year? I mean, we don't know. You can't um, weigh humility on a scale, I can't sit here and say that um, I can measure Wopsle's patience has grown 32% in the last year and applaud him for a 32% increase. Although with two little kids, he probably did. Yeah, I've lost. He was tested. I've lost or he lost. All. Yeah. Wopsle has <laughs> zero patience. decreased 32%. <laughs> there's not a timeline and there's not a deadline. Uh, like here as a part of this church, you're never going to be told, you know, you have until Christmas to become... Um, a genuinely joyful person. Like, that, that's just not how we operate here. Uh, all of our stories are different, and each of your stories walking with Christ is unique. So here's the idea. Just commit. Just commit. Every single one of us commit to increasing and advancing. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but it ought to challenge you just a little bit, if not a lot. Commit to increasing and advancing. Sometimes spiritual growth can feel like moving a mountain. I mean, you look at this mountain and, and you feel like all you have, the only resource you have to move this mountain is a shovel. And it, beca- it, it feels overwhelming. Move this mountain, here's a shovel. And, and we're, just, we're here to tell you, grab the shovel and start digging. And get some people around you in this church that'll help dig with you. I mean, that, that, that's the beauty of community. Sometimes... Spiritual growth feels like baby steps, and I just want you to know baby steps is still progress. I mean, those seasons where you feel like you haven't grown in a long time, if you'll just take that one step, if you'll be faithful to, to get outside of that comfort zone that we all have, and, and, and whatever that looks like in your faith story, take, take a baby step. That's progress. Andrea and I have uh, been all around the continent of Africa and been on many trips over there. And there was one trip on our way to Africa, I think in Washington, D.C., the gal said, flight's canceled, we've got to reroute you, here's a few choices. We, we could stay the night in Washington, D.C., we could go to Munich, or we could go to Paris. So we landed in Paris, <laughs> and uh, we were like, praise the Lord for this, I think it was like a six-hour layover or something, and, and we're like, well, what do we do, you know, in six hours in Paris? And Andrea and I love a good adventure, so it's like, let's get on a train and go to the Eiffel Tower. And so we get to the Eiffel Tower, and the line at the Eiffel Tower is long enough to make us um, completely miss our flight six hours later. So then we looked at the staircase, and it's just a bad idea, (laughs) a really, really, really bad idea. And so up we went, 
and my chest was burning. My wife did not break a sweat. I couldn't breathe. I, I felt like I was going to die at the Eiffel Tower, which I guess is romantic, but here's the deal. It's a terrible decision, 108 stories, 1,700 plus steps, but listen, it was one step after another that got us to the top. It was putting one foot in front of the other. And that's how our spiritual life and our development can feel sometimes. And our spiritual vitality depends on it. The younger generation depends on it. One reason we're sharing this sermon today, and you can see our passion for the young people of this church, is because the gospel is like a baton. It's not something that we are given and then we cling to it and keep it to ourselves. Instead, we ready younger people to receive it from us. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't want to be a part of a faith movement that reaches out to hand the baton of the gospel to young people, and because of our lack of spiritual, spiritual nourishment and discipleship and growth, there's no young, young people in sight to take it. I want to make sure that they're here and that they feel loved and cherished and valued, and that we are taking seriously our growth because we take seriously their growth. Uh, uh, last summer I shared this story, but I want to share it again because it was so formative in my young life. Um, I first started going to church kind of middle school, high school, and I began to hear that if, you're, if God gives you gifts, you're supposed to use them for the church sometimes. And so I'm a, I'm a musician, and so I went and said, hey, I, I would love to play some music with the church. And the church I went to, we had a, a song during the offering every single week, right? Someone would sing a song, or one, one guy that played the tuba every time, some polka song, and um, we had you know, poetry, all that kind of stuff. So they let this high school wopsle get up in front of everybody to Play some, play some music. And so um, I was kind of new to the faith. I definitely didn't know any worship songs, but I knew one song that had heaven in the title. It's called Tears in Heaven. And so <laughs> nobody asked me what I was going to play. They just plugged me in and put me on stage. And so That's great. the plates start going, and I start playing Tears in Heaven. And uh, it, it was great. You know, people are dancing in the aisles and swaying. It was just, it was really, it was really special. Special is a great word for it, actually. But I remember later on my youth pastor grabbing me and saying, Wopsle, that probably wasn't the most appropriate song. Next time, let's talk about the song you're going to play before we get you up there. Um, but I also remember that day, that Sunday, after I got done, all of the adults in the church just coming up and telling me how excited they were, how, how blessed they were that I would share my gift with the church, how much they loved that song. Nobody came at me saying, hey, that wasn't inappropriate, Wopsle. I was so, so very supported by the church. And that led me to believe that the church wanted me to be there and that the church valued my influence and my gifts. I'm so glad that I learned that when I was in ninth or 10th grade because it shaped how I interacted with the church throughout all of my high school years and, and beyond. So this, this is worth the price of admission right here. This is, if, you're, if you'll allow me to step on your toes just for a little bit, this is the moment I'm going to do it. I'll get right back off of them. I'll even dust off your shoe when we get done. But I hope this is challenging to you in, in, in a pretty serious way. Welcoming young people isn't just allowing them to be in our church, but inviting them to influence what we do and how we do it. In other words, we can't just allow young people to be here, but we have to actively welcome them into what it is that we're doing. And when we welcome these young people, we welcome them in the whole person with their gifts but also their immaturities and their growing pains. We welcome these young people with their unpolished talents and their secular songs. 
And when young people are serving around our church, I'm counting on you to go out of your way to encourage them and thank you and thank them for serving the way that they are. Just like my church did me. In Matthew 19, there's a part where um, Jesus and his disciples are hanging out and a bunch of people try to bring these kids up to Jesus, right? And you, you know the story, the disciples get in the way and are pushing them back. And You know Jesus' response in verse 14, this is what he says. Jesus said, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them. And get this, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I feel like sometimes we feel like the kingdom of heaven is ours and the kids get to be here too. Hmm. Well, really, I think it's the kingdom of heaven is theirs and we get to be here too. When we welcome here in our church, we welcome the whole young person just as they are so that they'll become the something that they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because the future of the church depends on them, not us. John fifteen five. if you look at the screens, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Luke 2 paints this picture of the childhood and young adulthood of Jesus. He grew, but in John 15, we see this glimpse of some of his final hours before his death. So to ponder deeply part of that farewell speech, the command from Christ to abide, it's not some inspirational poster, it's not the lofty goal for serious Christians But think about like physical nutrition, our spiritual nutrition, uh, it's a matter of life and death. I'm here to tell you that branches connected to the vine grow and branches that are not connected to the vine die. We only survive if we abide. Now I wanna bring you some relief today. Spiritual growth is not some exhausting, impossible religious checklist. It's not the outward appearance of super spirituality or superior intellect or following all of the rules better than everybody else did. I love how our senior pastor Bill says that so many people unfortunately are spiritually educated beyond their level of obedience. Evidence of our spiritual growth is in one thing, abiding in Christ. The fruit will follow. We don't focus on the fruit. We focus on abiding in Christ. Fruit is the byproduct. It doesn't take you long to see that without the vine, fruit is artificial and it's superficial. But fruit from the vine is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is fruit that comes from the vine. So we abide in Christ. We maintain this deep, keen awareness of our complete dependence on him. We don't go out bearing fruit without being connected to the vine. That is how we grow. So to close, let me squeeze the language here a little bit further to describe what it means for us to abide in Christ. Soak this in this morning. To not depart from Jesus. To not leave. To continue to be present and to maintain unbroken fellowship to adhere to him, to dwell with him, to be rooted in and to be knit to him by the Holy Spirit, to be kept permanently in his company. That is the kind of abiding that will inevitably result in spiritual growth.
individually, but also corporately.